Paracast, with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Bietley. David, I wonder if I shouldn't feel jealous of some of our listeners. I mean, they've reported all sorts of interesting encounters, sometimes frightening encounters with UFOs, ghosts, etc., etc. But mm-hmm. all I could share is this one instance with my first wife where we were sleeping one night downstairs in a living room where we had a mattress on the floor, no actual bed, and she awoke me at one particular point in time and said, a water elemental just passed by. And I looked up and I saw, I don't know, something. It could have been just my eyes trying to focus on the darkness. And that was it. You were just coming out of being asleep, right? Sure. So it could have been anything. And then I went back to sleep and that was the end of it. Mm -hmm. My soul encounter. Every time that I've seen a light in the sky, I have quickly identified it as something conventional. I had one experience, oh, when maybe I was 15, 16 years of age, where my friend believed... For many years, it was a UFO, but I did a little quick research, and I realized it was just an airplane making a rapid turn, or as rapid as a turn yeah. can be in Brooklyn, New York, back thousands of years ago. But that's it. But you, my friend, you have had Ooh. UFO encounters and other sorts of encounters, and maybe for our new listeners, those who haven't been listening from day one, you could tell us about exactly what has happened to you that you've revealed to the public. And then we'd go from there. Well, there have been two things that I've talked about on the show. On the fifth episode, we we had a discussion with my brother about a major UFO sighting we were part of down in Venezuela in the mid-'70s. And um, that was uh, really the first thing I revealed on the show here. That was fairly early on in our uh, first year of broadcasting. And then later on in the summer, I talked about a very strange thing that happened when my mother passed away and how I felt that she had uh, actually been successful in making some form of communication from wherever it is that we go after we leave here. And it was a little difficult for me to come forward with these things for what are obvious reasons, I think, to talk about these kinds of personal experiences in a public venue. It can be difficult while you're doing it, and of course it can be really difficult after the fact. I've put up with some strange looks from some of my friends in the, in the last year who you know knew that I've had some some experiences in my life that are maybe a little off the uh, beaten trail, you know, a little bit off this what we call mainstream. And because we're coming up on our first year anniversary uh, of broadcasting the Paracast, I decided that I wanted to talk about yet another one of my experiences. And something that's come up on the show more than a few times is is this idea that it's hard to convey details of an experience and have people in any way believe you. I mean, we've been very strict about requiring that our guests be logical, that they present fairly consistent stories, or at least we try to make sure they do that. And if they don't, then we, uh, we, we take them to task for it. But the idea of physical evidence is a tough one. How do you provide physical evidence for a paranormal episode? In many cases, it's really difficult. And um, today I'm going to talk about an experience that happened to me about a dozen years ago. And what I've decided to do is to ask one of my closest friends, actually probably accurate to say this is my oldest continuous friend, who lived through an experience with me that was fairly extreme. And um, I've asked him to 
go on the record about it, and he's agreed uh, because of the nature of what happened and because he trusts me, and I trust him absolutely. Again, this is a, somebody who I've been friends with since I was 12 years old. So we're talking about a, a long time, over 30 years we've known each other. And um, we, we experienced something in southern Florida in the condo complex where he lived for many years and where my grandmother, grandfather, and my parents ended up living for a number of years. Uh, we had a very extreme experience, and we're going to talk about it today on the Paracast. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. I think most of you know that I love radio, and so I decide to look for the ultimate receiver for AM reception because I want outstanding AM reception, day and night, especially night where it gets difficult. So I've discovered that C-Crane CC Radio Plus has earned the reputation of having the best AM reception, which is exactly what C-Crane intended when they designed this gem of a radio. Along with its legendary AM reception, it also has excellent FM reception, a weather band, TV audio, and the ability to run on batteries for, and listen to this, 250 hours. So whether you use it as your bedside radio in your kitchen or at work, the CC Radio Plus will give you the pleasure of clear AM reception. The radio is designed for the clarity of the human voice and the benefits of useful features like five memory buttons per band. They work just like memory buttons in your car. A sleep timer. An alarm clock so you can get up at the right time, and a weather alert that now works as an all-hazards alarm. You know what I want you to do? I want you to buy that radio, but also support this show by visiting our site, techbroadcasting.com. That's techbroadcasting.com. Click on the C-Crane Sponsor button to order the CC Radio Plus for $164.95, and that includes free ground shipping and a free C-Crane catalog. Place your order today. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. This is the Paracast, with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. You never know what's going to happen. We're talking today with Bill Velikoop, one of my uh, my oldest friends. Actually, probably accurate to say, Bill is my my oldest friend in the world. Uh, we met each other when I was 12. And how old were you, Bill? I was 21. Were you 21 years old when we first met? Really? I think I was 20 or 21. Oh man! And uh, yeah, I didn't remember up, that. It, it was crazy. I mean, well, I was always hanging out with people older than me. Um, and Bill, Bill, was a, Bill was a musician and a keyboard player, and that was, uh, as I remember it, that was the real strong commonality, was that we were both musicians, and Bill had these wacky analog synthesizers, and he had to show me what they were all about, and that was actually my first exposure, my first real exposure to the world of synthesis, Bill, so I have a lot to blame you for, man. Thanks, Dave. I'm glad I'm at fault. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, today what we're going to do, Bill, uh, you know, we're just coming up on the first year of me doing this show with Gene called The Paracast, and uh, 
I've, I've talked about a couple of things I've, I've been through on the show. I've been kind of hesitant to reveal a lot of the experiences I've had. I've talked about one UFO experience with Brother Barry and my parents oh, wow. down in, in Venezuela. So we've talked about that. I've also talked about the strange thing that happened after my mother died that I know you and I have talked about because you're one of the people uh -huh. I spoke to about it right after it happened. But today we're going to talk about something different and what I want to focus on is, is this experience that you and I had that, you know, and I have to tell the audience, I, I don't think either of us knows the exact nature of what we witnessed that day about 12 years ago. Um, we talked about it a lot after it happened and it, uh, right. yeah, I mean, you know, but one of the things, Bill, that is true with the show is that we don't pretend or profess to have the answers to everything. We we look at, we talk about, and we study paranormal episodes of all sorts of genres, and this one is a little bit different than the things we've talked about. So let's uh, let's just put a put a location and a and a face on this whole thing. Uh, okay. this, took, this took place about 12 years ago. It was 1995, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I, I was thinking it was 95. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. And if I remember correctly, it would have been the spring of 95 because uh, whenever I came yeah. to Florida, I always made sure to try to not come in the summertime. <laughs> Just too hot. <laughs> it's too warm. Yeah. yeah, I remember. I'm guessing it was the spring of, uh, of 95. And uh, just for the listeners who are interested, this is in a condo complex in Hollywood, Florida called right. Catch Hills, which is on Sterling Road. And actually was, uh, strangely enough, fairly close to where I guess they found uh, Anna Nicole Smith dead. Well, it's in, yes, it's right down the street in Hollywood, Florida. Yeah. Uh -huh. right, right down the street from the Hard Rock. Yep, yep. At the time this happened, of course, uh, the area was not quite as developed as it is now. This is an area that's gone through a lot of changes, but at the time it was a little less congested. Back, uh, you know, back when I first met you, Bill, in the, uh, what was it, the 80s, it was a whole lot less congested, but that area has been built up quite a bit. And that actually plays into the story, as we'll, we'll talk about later, because this area was a uh, prime Indian burial ground. Which is right, most, most of uh, Florida, in, uh, you had the Seminole and, and the Tequesta Indians uh, used to uh, bury a lot of their, uh, lot of their burial grounds around what we consider west. You know, Put them in the swamps. This yeah. almost sounds a bit like the movie Poltergeist, where they built this entire complex, this housing complex, on top of Indian burial ground. Of course, the secret was allegedly they had moved the bodies to another location, but in fact, they actually never moved the bodies. They moved the headstones. Yeah. Uh, no, no, and that's probably true for a lot of that area where um, there were no headstones, and uh, a lot of that region was simply developed. It was paved over, essentially, you know, without any real regard paid to the, uh, the contents of these burial grounds. But that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, because we, we don't know that this is related to that fact in any way, and I, I, I don't know that we're going to hazard that guess at this point. But we set the stage. You can actually go onto Google Earth and, and look this up to, to actually get the, 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 the general location. Actually, what I'll try to do is uh, put on our website the exact location so people can zoom right in on Google Earth and okay. get a real clear idea yeah, for where this happened. And um, basically, it was uh, about 4 or 5, maybe 6 o'clock in the late afternoon yeah. evening, right? Yeah. Um, would you say it's about the right time, Bill? 
Yeah, I would say that's the right time. And uh, the lights had just uh, uh, gone on in the courtyard in uh, right. in the back of the apartment buildings. Yeah. Yeah. This um this all happened in sort of the. Uh, how do you describe this? You have these of condo buildings, and there's right. three or four buildings that surround each other, right? Do you want to describe this, Bill? Yeah. Yeah, you have a, a series of three apartment buildings, and they all, uh, uh, it turns into like a rectangle, and on the inside, it would be like the courtyard, and there's walkways through to each of the uh, buildings, and it faces all the, uh, I would say, it's like the back patios of all the apartment buildings can right. look out onto the courtyard. And these are three-story buildings, right? These are these yeah. buildings are three floors high. So the ground apartments have these, uh, for the most part, I think they're like all screened in. Some people have glassed yeah. them and they made them extra like bedrooms. That's what my grandmother yeah. did with her screen porch. Actually, she ended up turning it into a little bedroom that the grandkids would use when they visited. And um, in the center of this courtyard, there was a little seating area with like these round concrete and stone tables. Right. And uh, there were also benches set up in kind of a, yeah, I mean, um, basically like my grandmother would go out there and, and sit there and sit in the sun with her uh, with her book and she would read it out there. Yeah, her book, right? Uh, let's qualify this. So let me just set this up a little further. Uh, Bill lived in an apartment about three doors down from where my grandparents were in this condo yeah. complex. And that's how I originally met Bill. Basically, I would come up and uh, go to Florida for vacation from Venezuela for 17 days every summer. And um, that's how I first met Bill. He literally lived just down down the hall from where my grandmother was. So that that's kind of how we met, and, and somehow we've managed to stay in touch for over 30 years. Which, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's a long time. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We have a special guest, a longtime friend of David's, Bill Velikoop. And he and David share, in addition to a long-standing friendship of more than 30 years, also a very, very interesting, fascinating, frightening experience. And we're going to learn more about that as we progress. David? So Bill and I were sitting in the... Um screened in porch of his apartment we were just talking something we did a lot we would just hang out in back there and just to get fresh air and we would we would just talk and about anything and yeah. everything often about the girls that lived in the place <laughs> that's all yeah talk. yeah oh yeah so we're, we're standing out there and we're talking and i don't remember whether it was you that noticed this first bill or whether it was me i don't remember that part but i think you noticed it first yeah. And you said, you said, Bill, look, what's that? And I go, what? And and you pointed. And then I saw it, and I said, oh, my God. And then oh. we kind of stood up, and we're looking out, you know. And, and let's uh, describe what it was. Okay. okay just, it, it would be the uh, the image or, or a, uh, it was like a picture of a girl walking by. And, and it just kind of 
you know, was moving by. But you didn't hear anything, like any footsteps or anything moving by. And Dave uh, kind of, he was sitting down. Dave jumped up and, and he says, look at that. And I go, oh, my God. And uh, The thing that was really strange and the reason I went, oh, my God, is that here was this... Um, Looked like a girl. The, the reason that I went, oh my God, the reason I, 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 I reacted the way I did was that I saw this girl walking on this walkway, and, and I'm going to qualify this. She was about, I'm guessing, 25 to 30 feet away from where we were. This walkway goes in the middle of this uh, square area. It was really odd to notice that this girl's legs were moving relatively slowly, but she was moving at a much faster pace than you would expect given the relative lack of motion of her legs. Bill, you describe it as that she was gliding. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't uh, think of ever seeing anything quite like it. Yeah. She was just kind of moving along, but you didn't see her legs, you know, like touching the concrete in the, right. you know, the normal walking fashion. Yeah. yeah, it was like a complete disconnect visually where it's hard to describe it. It's almost as if um, something is off synchronization. And um, yeah. that that was the very first thing I noticed. But then some other stuff became very obvious. She had long hair, long straight uh-huh. hair. I remember that very well. Yeah, and, I um, it was like black, long black. Yeah, hair. yeah, it was dark. Yeah, it might have been black. It was, uh, yeah. it was real long, real straight. Yeah, and I think it was like right. black or just very dark. She was wearing like some kind of a one of those almost like hippie coats, those leather coats where the sleeves have all like these tassel fringe on them. Yeah. You know, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I thought it was like a brown color. Like yeah. A brown color like, jacket. Yep, yep. Yeah. Almost like it was uh, like like some kind of a leather or something. What looked almost like bell-bottom jeans. Right. Uh, yeah. And um, here's the thing. So she's sort of gliding, and I remember my my... <laughs> My blood pressure like went up because that that instant disconnect, that visual disconnect of her legs are moving at one speed, she's moving at another, and that's the first thing I noticed. The second thing I really noticed, and this is what really creeped me out, she, her face, you could see the her nose, you could see sort of the tip of her nose, you could see her forehead, you could see like her chin, but I couldn't see a mouth, I couldn't. I definitely couldn't see eyes, and, and that still haunts me to this day, the fact that here was this girl walking under, like, these lampposts, and the light right. was coming right down on her face, and even with that, parts of her face were in shadow, and you couldn't yeah. see any eyes, and I remember, you know, like, oh, Bill, you know, we were first we were looking at her, at her legs, and I said, dude, look at her face, and you're like, yeah. oh, I mean, it was like, oh, my God, because we hadn't looked at that first. But then when I said yeah. that, like, oh, Dave. And you're like... Yeah, then we went this? outside to, well, to see what hold, was... Uh... No, hold on a minute. Hold on, because she she was... We didn't walk out immediately. She kept going. So before we talk about walking out, Bill, I mean, there, there, there's a little bit of lead-up to that in that... We watched her walk over to the seating area. And, you know, I mean, I remember being pretty scared. <laughs> you know, it was I was like, kind of uh, amazed because I was uh, probably in shock. You know, to, yeah. to see to see somebody uh, which you don't normally uh, anticipate anybody. You know, any kind of movement uh, without sound, and uh, she definitely was moving. And you couldn't hear any footsteps. That kind of that's uh, right. 
Scott Lee right away. And then uh, the military sit down at one of like the concrete, like, I call them like umbrella tables or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. and she sat there. She said, we got to go out and see what's going on. And I'm like, are you sure you want to do that? And I was fine right there. They said, no, we got to check it out. So we... Yeah, she's like she's like sitting there, you know. It's like what? Remember saying to you, so you think she's here like for us? I mean, that was the thing. It's like she walks by, she goes and she sits down. Yeah. I remember thinking, uh, you know, is she here to like talk to us or something? You know, a lot of things were going through my head at the time. It wasn't. You know, people need to understand about these kinds of paranormal events. They're very easily analyzed in hindsight. You know, you can say, yeah. well, why don't you guys, like, grab a camera? I'm sure, Bill, that when our listeners hear the story, they're going to be like, why don't you guys grab a camera? Yeah. And, I mean, at, the, at that time, I certainly didn't have a camera laying around. I, I don't know that yeah, you Yeah, it probably would have took me a half hour to find one. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah. And that's not what we were thinking. You didn't want to really take your eyes off her. And to go get a camera yeah. would have meant going into the apartment, maybe you'd come back out, and she'd be gone. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah. That wasn't an option. That wasn't an option. So what happened was I said to Bill, let's let's go out there. Bill's like, sure, Dave? I said, I don't know, man. Let's just, what have we got to lose? Let's go out there. And, and you were you were a little hesitant. I remember you kind of yeah. like going, uh, I don't know. And I was like, well, just let's just, let's, you know, what, I, I don't know. Curiosity got me. And um, right. so we, uh, we opened the screen door and we started walking out towards the seating area, and you were, like, right behind me, like, Dave, are you, are, are yeah. you okay? Or you were like, Dave, are we going to be okay? And I'm like, I guess so, Bill. I'm, I'm not sure. And yeah. I remember we, sitting down. There was a bench. We went and we sat yeah. on a bench. Yeah, we oh. sat on the bench, and we were kind of watching her. Let, let's qualify this for our listeners. We were, we were about, I'm going to guess, about 12 to 14 feet away from her. Yeah, I would say closer to 12. Yeah. Yeah. We were looking, and... She's like, I held up some kind of purse, and she's like looking through it. And then uh, you, the weird thing was, I couldn't hear any sound coming from like, you know, usually when people make movement, you hear sound. But I, I didn't hear any sounds coming from this uh, girl. And then she got up. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www dot f-a-t-e-m-a-g dot com what are you waiting for your fate awaits gene and i love to hear from our listeners if you'd like to share your thoughts with us send your messages to news at the com. that's news at the com. and don't forget to check out our website at the com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums also please patronize our sponsors tell them that you heard their ads on the paracast they'll appreciate it and we will too you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next.
You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. And of course, many of you have heard David talk about a couple of the rather amazing experiences he had over his lifetime. And now we're talking about still another one. And we've invited David's close friend, Bill Velikoop, on the show to discuss a very strange encounter in Florida. David? Here we are, Gene, and Bill and I are, are sitting on a bench looking at this thing, this girl, this apparition, whatever she was, Bill brings up a very interesting point that I hadn't thought about in a while. And I'm not surprised, given that Bill is an unreal musician and keyboard player. And I'll just say that here on the air. He is a rockin' Hammond B3 player and synth player. And um, Bill is Thank very you. sensitive. Well, no, it's the truth, man. You, you, you rock. And um, you're very sensitive to sound, extremely sensitive to sound. And I... My memory of this, I was so focused on the visual aspect of her, I, I actually kind of didn't think about the fact that you're absolutely right. She didn't make any sound at all. She was looking through that bag or whatever she had at one point, and it didn't make any sound. You know, you'd think like if a girl's handbag had like keys in it and, and coins and stuff, that there'd be some kind of sound being generated, and that wasn't going on. The other thing was now we were pretty close to her, you know, within maybe a dozen feet. And she's sitting there. She's facing in our general direction. And I'm desperately looking to see if there's any detail in her eyes. Her eyes continue to be in shadow. Her mouth was in shadow. It was as if she wasn't completely there. And I remember saying, you know, know, Bill, I mean, you know, look at this. We were standing there. We were sitting there and we were talking. Yeah, that was kind of weird. I mean, we're like we're like whispering to each other. So she like doesn't hear us, but she's right in front of us. (laughs) And it's almost as if, oh, my God, I hope she doesn't like notice us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember that. So we're kind of, we're, we're going back and forth, like, what should we do? And I said to Bill, you know, what do you think we should do? And Bill's like, I don't know, Dave. <laughs> He's like, what do you think we yeah, should do? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's important to talk about this because, and again, this is a situation where people hear a story like this, and they're like, well, why don't you just, like, walk over to her and, and speak to her? Why don't you, like, go and try to grab her or something? And, um... You know, the yeah, thing is, sure. yeah, you're, fra- you're yeah. afraid. There's fear going on. A lot you of hesitation. Know. Yeah, that was a key yeah, a lot, thing. A lot of hesitation. Yeah, like, you know, do we talk to her? I don't know. I don't think we should do anything. Let's just see what she does. That was like, I remember you saying to me, well, Dave, let's let's see what she does. And, yeah. um, you know, we're just like watching this. Like, what the heck is going on here? We really... It, it was really difficult to try to figure out what to do. And, you know, just like trying to, to get you, when you're in this situation, you try to sort of capture as much in your mind's eye as you can. And um, right. I kept looking to her eyes and not seeing them. And that's what I, I found, Bill, that that's yeah. what really provided me with fear, right? That was extremely weird because I said, Dave, I don't, I don't see, I can't see any eyes. And it looked like her face is not finished. If that makes any sense. Yep. And that's exactly right. It's like her face wasn't completely there. Now, whoa, 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 wasn't completely there. Well, yeah. I mean, it's so hard to describe, Gene, because you have to, what do you compare this to? It's sort of like you're looking at someone and they're almost there, but not quite. And what Bill says is exactly right. It's like her face wasn't finished. 
Like, they didn't finish putting the eyes in, and, and where was the mouth, you know? If you think about it, when human beings look at each other, they pick up so much information in the eyes, in the mouth. This is one of the reasons that in computer graphics, the, the most difficult thing to do is a convincing human face. We are so conditioned to reading all of these subliminal cues and all of this very minute facial muscular detail in trying to determine what someone else's mood is. I mean, we have all these mechanisms built into our minds and our visual perception that help us with this, specifically when it comes to human faces. It's like a critical element of our of our intuition or of our perceptive abilities of the world. And again, this is why it's so difficult to do convincing simulations of realistic humans, especially when it comes to faces. We are so trained to pick up on all these cues. And here we're sitting there literally like a dozen feet away from this thing, and we're both staring at her, trying to figure out, trying to lock on to her facial cues, but they weren't there because her face wasn't completely there. Yeah, that's where the fear came in. Yeah, big yeah, fear. I was, pet- yeah, I was petrified. I think I couldn't move. Well, you were, I remember you're sitting like right next to me, and you're like pushed up to me, like almost a little too close. <laughs> you know, because, well, you know, it's like, oh man, we're, we're you know, we're, we're, we don't know. You've got this thing where there's fear. But there's curiosity. And so in this case, the curiosity overwhelmed the fear. We're sitting near her. I mean, I was sitting there thinking, maybe I should just walk up and say something to her. But I couldn't bring up the nerve. And I remember saying it to you, I don't know, Bill, maybe I should go over and talk to her. And you're like, no, Dave. You're like, no, Dave, don't don't leave me here. Yeah, yeah, you were like, don't leave, Dave. It's like, well, Bill, she's right over there. Yeah, well, 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 and and you know, I was saying this, but I wasn't in a hurry to get up either. I just yeah, I didn't you know. see you moving too quick. <laughs> oh, well, you know, uh, what are you going to do? Uh, you're almost afraid that she's going to respond at that point. You don't know what's going to happen. So um, this probably went on for. A good. Uh, it seemed like an eternity, but I'm going to guess. I'm not going to say, David, just to be humorous or a very lame attempt at yeah. humor, because all my attempts at humor, of course, are lame, as we all agree. And that is that the word she said was Zool. No. That was the no. big Ghostbusters. Sigourney Weaver stuff. No. 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 And it no, didn't no. look like Sigourney Weaver. I want to make sure our listeners know that. Uh, no. Definitely not Sigourney Weaver. No. Um, I would have went over, fear or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, and, and maybe we haven't provided enough details of what she, what we did gather about. You know, I mean, she looked like she was in her late teens. So yeah, you know, it wasn't that. maybe right, maybe twenty, between eighteen and twenty, seventeen right. and twenty, something like that. Right. Yeah. As far as you know, like. Um, just the general sense of, of what she looked like. I mean, again, it was hard to tell because, you know, there was a body and that seemed fairly opaque and there, but the face was not completely there. And I also yeah. remember her hands were, I'm going to get this word wrong, but I'm going to try it anyway. Her hands were almost like vibrating. It's almost like there was a little bit of a shimmer around her hands. And I, I specifically yeah. noticed that. When she picked up that bag thing she had, right. you know, I couldn't see her fingers really distinctly. It wasn't, I, it's hard to describe because I remember like 
I was constantly trained on her face, but when her hands went into that bag, I thought, was she going to get something? And I'm now at that point looking at her hands, and her hands, it's almost as if, when I say they're a little shimmery, I'm going to guess maybe her hands were not completely opaque. And that's what kind of caught me. It's hard to tell. I mean, let's qualify this. This was, you know, a dozen years ago. So, you know, I don't know if I'm going to completely trust every single aspect of my memory about this. Um, Um, I don't remember the hands so well, but I do remember, like, the clothes she wore and everything. It it, it looked like it was from, like, uh, the uh, late 60s, early 70s, like a a hippie-type outfit, you know, with a leather jacket and a... Bell bottom uh, blue jeans and uh, like the rest of the uh, outfit, I would say. Yeah. Keeping up to date. This is a ghost keeping up to date with the fashions. Yes, I think it was. Uh, she was <laughs> yeah, in her that's own exactly time right. Didn't all of them. So. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the podcast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene in data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. Hey, let me tell our listeners you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedna. <laughs> That's one way to put it. And we're adding a little bit of lame levity here because I specialize in lame levity as opposed to the very, very, very knowledgeable levity provided by my co-host and friend David Biedna. And we're talking to Bill Velacoupa, a longtime friend of David's. And we're talking about this strange person, apparition, thing, whatever, that they observed in Florida years and years yeah. ago. Here's where then it got really, 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 really weird, because this wasn't strange enough. So we're, we're watching this girl, whatever she was, and we're trying to figure out what to do. And I, I don't know, Bill, I'm going to guess that I want to say it was about 10 minutes that went by. Yeah, That's I would say really at least was. 10 minutes. A Maybe very long 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, it felt longer. Do you think it was longer than 10 minutes in reality? No, I think it was 10 minutes. We we talked about it later. It was only 10 minutes. And, and, and I said, man, it felt like the longest 10 minutes I've ever experienced, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was. Uh, we were sitting there pretty much in, in fear the whole time. Yeah, observing uh-huh. while paralyzed. <laughs> paralyzed like, I think yeah. we should mention to our listeners again, how old were you two when this happened? So um, don't forget. Well, this is 12 years ago, so I was uh, 32. Okay, so you were adults here. We're not talking about somebody oh, yeah. who was a child seeing something that was frightening. And certainly for an adult, seeing something like this has got to be something you just can't sit there and take in. That's not possible. Well, you, you kind of have no choice. I mean, both Bill and I, you know, given that we were both old enough to realize something really messed up was going on, there was still sort of this childlike wonder about it. And I think that's what had us actually go out of Bill's apartment and go and walk over to this thing. I think if if we had been younger, maybe we would have been a little more frightened by it. Or I don't know, maybe we might have even been more reckless and just run right over to her. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's hard to tell. Yeah. That reminds me of the scene back to Ghostbusters where they saw this apparition looking very ghostly and they ran after it and the thing's 
pretty face turned to a horrible face of a monster and started chasing them back, and they ran out of the library. Yeah. Was, that was really the movie. So this may have been something that you saved yourselves from by not going after whatever this was. I'm only telling people this. Yeah. I understand I'm maybe giving a little bit of humor to this. It's not humorous to sit there and see something like this go on. It's not funny at all. But I think no. in retrospect, it's worth just kind of looking at it and say, you know what, we're still here. It happened, and maybe it wasn't so bad, and maybe we learned something about it, about ourselves, about the universe in which we live. Is that fair to say? I would say so, yeah. We definitely learned that there's, there's something else going on. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. And uh, something that's uh, unexplainable. And uh, well, at least we couldn't explain it. I know I... Uh, I wasn't sure what, what was going on, but it was going on, that's for sure. Yeah. Let's give the rest of the story here, because this is where... It, okay. You were halfway through. Well, I think we're, we're a little more than halfway through, but it took okay. a really decidedly weird twist, because after the 10 or however many minutes we were watching this girl, right. and uh, we're like talking about what to do, all of a sudden, she stands up. And I remember that, because... I think, Bill, at that moment, you, like, grabbed my arm or something with your hand. You, like, you grabbed me and went, Dave. And she, <laughs> oh, my she gets, God. Like, oh, oh, oh. She got up. And yeah. um, she had been looking, again, she'd been kind of, like, sitting there looking down towards the right. stone table. Right. And right. Um, and she'd been looking in that bag at some point. And then she gets up. And we were sitting to what would have been her right facing her. So exactly. she had not looked uh -huh. over at us no. until she got up and then just she turned her head slightly towards us and glanced, stared, I don't know what to call it. She looked right at us. Right. And there was still no eyes. And it was like, oh, my God. I'm, I'm actually, I have to tell you, right now I'm, I'm recounting this, and the hairs just stood up on the back of my neck, man. It just the memory. Yeah, I think my mouth was wide open at the time. You know, oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, like, what's going to happen now? <laughs> she, she, I remember you grabbed my arm, you're like, Dave, Dave. <laughs> I remember you doing that, and I'm like, yeah. Bill, she looks at us. Dave. Yeah, like, uh-oh, this is it. And she, um, she turns away, and she turns around, mm -hmm. and starts to do this gliding thing again, this walking, gliding thing. It wasn't actually walking. She glided. She glided. And she started heading in the opposite direction, kind of in a straight line from where she had been originally moving. She was moving uh, actually in what would have been an easterly direction. She sits down at this table. We walk over. We sit down. We watch her. Then she gets up. And she glances at us, turns around, and continues on her way in an easterly direction down the pathway right. that connects into the seating area. And we're watching her, and we don't know what to do at this point. And she was about, I'm guessing, Bill, 25 feet away from us, more or less. And that, at that time, while she was uh, headed uh, toward, it seemed like the walkway to the exit, mm -hmm. exit one of the far buildings. Yeah, she, I would say 25, maybe 30 feet away at that time, yeah. As she's moving, she starts to fade out. It's, uh, I call it dematerialization. You call it what you will. She vanishing. starts to... <laughs> vanishing, yeah. I mean, she just basically... Vanishes, like she, she kept going and going, and then she kind of like, it's like, 
disappeared. She and you didn't see her go through the walkway, and it, where else she, could she have gone? You know, only until like 10 a.m. Pretty much. It was like right in front of us. She essentially vanished, and, and that process of going from full opacity to no opacity happened in about 10 feet, completely yeah. in view, and let's qualify this for the listeners. There are no bushes for her to jump into. There's no, there's nothing. It's basically all open space, so it's not like... Yeah, just lawn. Just lawn. Not even any yeah. bushes there or anything. Not like she jumped no. behind something. We didn't see her. We watched her fade out. We watched her vanish. And the moment, and that's when it was like, oh, my God. And I remember jumping up because we were still sitting down when that was going on because we yeah, were just like frozen, that, we jumped up, and <laughs> ran over. Nothing. I mean, we just like booked right to where she was. And this we was walked like, and I, looked around and nothing. Nothing. And I want to qualify this. It's almost like the minute she was gone, our our courage came back. And and that's when we Isn't like, that oh, how it always turns out? It's gone. Oh, it well, wasn't think, so bad. I don't oh. think my courage came back then, Dave. <laughs> I was still scared, yeah. Do you feel well, today yeah. talking about it, Bill, that you're still feeling kind of frightened that it, the hairs come up on your back as a result well, of this? Well, now, now trying to, uh, to, to relive that experience was, uh, you know, now that I think about it, it was, uh, it was something. That's, that's all you can say. It was uh, a little bit fearful, yes. Yeah. Even at thinking about it now. At least a little yeah. bit fearful. Yes, even thinking about it now, because you don't know. It's the unknown. Mm -hmm. Fear of the unknown. Well, that could certainly cause lots of ills. This is Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO, reporting for ConspiracyJournal.com. Fascinated by the strange and unknown, things that go bump in the night, UFOs, time travel, Area 51, the Philadelphia Experiment, shady government cover-ups? Don't be left out in the lunar cold. Sign up now for our weekly online newsletter and receive our snail mail catalogs. Go to ConspiracyJournal.com or email Tim Beckley at MrUFO at WebTV.com. Net. It's all out of this world. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. This is the Paracast with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Bietti. You never know what's going to happen next. This is the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietany. We're talking to Bill Velikoop, and he and David shared an experience 12 years ago where they saw a female apparition. And let's get to the end of it now. She just faded out, or just a gradual fade out once again, or kind of a sudden ten, as she got further ten, in the distance? Ten feet. It was a fade out that happened over ten feet while she was moving. Okay. 
So at about or gliding. Or gliding, yeah. You know, I, I guess that that's actually the accurate term, Bill. You're right. It was gliding. It wasn't actually um, walking one foot against another after another. No, it was no, actually gliding. Uh-huh. No foot movement. Oh, yeah. boy. No. And that was, you know, again, that was the really odd thing about first seeing her, that I have to qualify to people. This is true with all of the paranormal stuff that I've visually witnessed. There is this moment when your brain and your eyes disagree and it's a very odd feeling there's no way to describe this feeling if you've never had it if you have had this feeling you know exactly what i'm talking about this moment when your your eyes are seeing something and your brain is telling you no reference nothing to compare this to this can't be happening you know your your brain just basically denies what it's seeing and your eyes are sending signals to your brain saying this is right in front of us look at this and the brain's like i can't handle this um, i just can't handle it and that's when there's this uh, this this feeling that goes through you that is a combination of awe fear adrenaline rushing you know the part you partially freeze up you become immobile um because yeah i agree with that yeah right i mean well you're looking and you're thinking her feet are supposed to be moving when you're walking and nothing is going how it's supposed to go in your head you know your head's supposed to be moving where are the feet moving yeah where are the four the legs i mean what's going on where's her face so we uh, we ran over to the spot and it's like where'd she go what the hell's going on here and it's almost like snapping out of this trance almost like what the heck is what 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 just happened bill what just happened i don't know dave <laughs> like i don't know what happened what did we just so where did she go and i'm like well i don't know we're looking yeah. and we're looking at each other and we're looking where, where and she said where should where could she go i said i don't know i, I mean you know we and saw her dematerialize tell me tell me this happened and i said yes yes it did you know, yeah, we both saw it. You know, so yeah, like pinch me, man. You know, like uh, let's make sure we're not like dreaming this up here. And uh, I remember at that point, I was really perturbed by this. Um, and I'm going to say further that right where this happened, my grandmother's apartment, her living room, and her porch that she had enclosed and was like a little bedroom now. And when I would go to Florida and stay with my grandmother. That little um, glassed-in porch, that was sort of my bedroom at that point. So I would I would sleep in that room. And uh, the next two or three nights, I was in a terrible way because I was in that room. And this faced right out onto this little patio area where we watched this. So sleeping there literally feet away from where she was. And, and actually, that yeah. side of the walkways where my grandma's apartment, that little room was on. So where she de- dematerialized was like, I don't know, within 20 feet of where I was yeah. sleeping. And so yeah, I had a heck of a time. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, I had a heck of a time sleeping after that. And <laughs> It's like all that you and I talked about, Bill, for like the next few days. I mean, I think we yeah, stopped they talking about up at night <laughs> with the light on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. hell yeah. I didn't want her like showing up in the window of of that room. I mean, like you know, God, that's all I need. Yeah. And we talked a lot about this. We were trying to figure out what was this. Yeah, well, what did we see? You know, was it a what person? Could it, what could it have been? Yeah. Right. Did it represent feeling? Did it represent? I remember saying to you, Bill, that um. As we were comparing notes about her after the fact, I remember feeling the sense of sadness from her. The way yeah, she you told me that. Remember that? Yeah. The way yeah, she you was... sensed a lot of sadness that was going on. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, the way she sat at that table. Yeah. yeah, she. Well, the way that she held her body, you know, it was kind of like you had the sense that there was this weight on her, that there was this sadness. It wasn't. It was the body language. You know, her her shoulders were slightly slumped forward. Yeah. But it. You know what? I'm thinking about it. It wasn't all body language. She just basically. She. It's like she emanated. Not a negative sadness. feeling. Yeah. 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 And I remember conveying that to you. I, th I thought, I remember at the time, I remember telling you that maybe she represents the spirit of uh, misspent youth or something along those lines. Yeah, you um, did tell me that, yeah. Yeah. You know, Bill and I, uh, well, Bill spent more of his life growing up in that condo than I did, though Though I, um, I did a lot of growing up there, too. We both had had a lot of experiences with... You know, crushes on girls and and even beyond crushes on girls, actual affairs with women there and um, right. heartbreak. Heartbreak, absolutely. Yeah. And um, you know, we definitely could say that we had those emotions tied up in that area. Though I don't think that what we saw was in any way a projection of our emotions. I I didn't really feel that way. It, but I almost felt like what we were seeing was not a specific person. It was almost like it was a conglomeration of people. It was almost like it was, I guess, what's called a spirit, not a ghost or an entity. It right. was almost representational. Instead of like being you know, like, oh, this is a girl that got murdered or something, and we're looking at her ghost. I didn't See, feel I that. I thought way. about that, too. I thought maybe something bad had happened to this person. And, yeah. And... Uh, she was just showing up to maybe let it, let herself be known or something. Yeah, but I don't think it was that in the end, Bill. I mean, um, again, it, it almost felt like she represented an emotion or an idea. I, I don't yeah. even even to this day, I think that part of the whole thing about her not having eyes was that eyes would have given her a personality. And she didn't have that, you know. It was it was as almost as if she was a physical embodiment of an emotion. That's the, I guess the that best way. Be, uh... Yeah, I, I, we don't know, and this is what it, it's important for the listeners to understand that we don't know what we saw. I, you know, twelve years later, I I've had this experience show up in my dreams. I've I've thought about her. I have a pretty good visual for her in my mind right now. In fact. And I still feel this sense of sadness. That's the thing that I really remember about her. And that was, I suppose, one of the reasons that I was hesitant to go over and to, to even speak with whatever this thing was. It's almost like I didn't necessarily want to know what she had to say. Wow. It's hard to describe, you know. It, it's, 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 really, it's almost impossible to describe um, the specifics of the emotions. I remember, though, Bill, that when we talked about it after the fact, that there was a lot of talk about emotions and the emotions that she seemed to bring up and also just that um, you and I felt that um, this was not just some trivial like entity sighting that we had some kind of an emotional involvement yeah right I mean what do you think about yeah, that? Um, well I, I believe that some you know you can uh, uh, tie in that uh, we had somehow uh, gotten tangled in, in, in with our emotions but I did sense uh, a lot of uneasiness in uh, whatever she was experiencing or uh, showing, you know, because mm -hmm. by looking at it, it seemed like an uneasy spirit to me, yeah. you know. Yeah, not at peace, not calm with herself. There was uh, something not quite right there. And um, like like we mentioned before, and, and Bill has had some other experiences that stem from the fact that that whole area of Florida is indeed essentially ancient Indian burial grounds. 
and I don't want to qual- I'll qualify this. I don't think what we saw was an Indian spirit per se. I didn't get that feeling. She seemed contemporary, like Bill said. It she was dressed in what looked like attire from the late 60s, early 70s, which at that point, the specific area where this condo is, uh, to my knowledge, there was nothing there in the 60s and 70s. That was basically it was a what field. Was that, Bill? <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. It was a field. It would have been a field with uh, oak trees and, and uh, like scrub palms and uh, bushes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't developed in any way. Yeah. Which... Well, that whole land is at least uh, from the Indians on 100 year weeks. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. Indian land. Who, who That's knows an interesting question that I raise here, and that is, were you singled out? If you Have you done research of this area to see if other people have had similar experiences, apparitions, whatever? No, I haven't. Have you, Dave? No, I can't say I have, Gene. This happened at a time in my life when certainly anything re- involving the paranormal was not part of my day-to-day life. I didn't. Uh, dwell on this stuff really i didn't try to find the causes or background stories that was uh not something i did in my life at that time i was uh all of this stuff uh all of these experiences were in the background of my life i didn't i didn't focus on them not the way that i do now in 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 you know i would have never considered at the time telling this to anybody i remember telling my mother about it at the time, I remember bringing it up with her, and I remember bringing it up with my grandmother at the time. But I don't, I don't remember. Uh, yeah, we didn't tell too many people. Yeah, no, it was not something that we were in a hurry to publicize. Only now, Gene, as I said to you many times, um, it's only in the last year doing the show that I've decided to talk publicly about these experiences. Before this. I really, um, only my closest, closest friends knew about some of the stuff, and none of them knew about all the experiences. I mean, I would sort of reveal things very gradually as I thought people could handle them, but I felt that this was part of my life that uh, I didn't really want to reveal because I I didn't understand it myself, and I wasn't really comfortable with it myself. So um, we didn't do any research about the area and whether or not other people were having these experiences. I, I couldn't tell you, but... Bill has some stories along these lines. There was one thing that, in particular, Bill witnessed that uh, I found fascinating. That thing that happened at the park one day, Bill, that you told me about. Oh, don't you mean at uh, C.D. Smith Park? You want to tell our, uh, our audience that story? I can tell it uh, pretty quick. It's uh, also a, a, it's like a, a park, you know, we do uh, cookouts and family things. And it's originally built on... Again, Indian burial land. All I know is that every time I've ever been out at this park, there's always wild electric storms and uh, like tornadoes. And I was caught in a water uh, spout one day. I was out doing those remote control boats on the water. And one minute it was nice and sunny, and the next minute everybody was uh, laying on the ground and all battered up uh, because of a water spout. And I was certain it had something to do with because we were messing around on Indian land, Indian burial land. No, well, now, can and, you describe this water spout a little more, in a little more detail, Bill? Like what well, it's kind of like, a, uh, like a, a tornado that comes across the water, picks up the water, and, and just mows you down. And like one minute I was standing there completely dry, and the next moment I was laying flat on the ground like someone had thrown me in a pool. And uh, then they had ambulances and everybody and all that stuff. And all I know is that every time I've ever been to this park, it's always been a bad, negative experience. So I believe that uh, people shouldn't be on what was once Indian burial land. 
It's the only way to describe it. Now, this spout that came out, did you actually see this thing come out of the water? Was the Well, it's like, it's like a storm. I would, I, I would describe it as a storm that uh, moves in very quickly, and it, it turns into like a tornado and it, uh, on the water. It's a water spout. And right. it, it spins, and it, it kicks up all the water and just mows you down like a, uh, like a, a small tornado. And uh, that's hmm. the best way to describe it. Hmm. And did you see this thing come off the water? Oh yeah, it, it happened so fast you can't do anything about it. Hmm. And it not you say it knocked people down? It knocked a lot of people. I'd say about thirty people down, and some people were injured very bad. You know, fractured skull and broken ribs. Jeez. And uh, it knocked my glasses off, and I couldn't find it for a good hours. Oh. But I eventually found them somewhere, and uh, it's uh, it's like a freak freak thing. Uh, freak storm, and uh, I just uh, conclude that it's always uh, that we're messing around and shouldn't be on on their uh, burial now. There's always bad storms and bad things happening over there, so mm-hmm. I stay away. Mm. Yeah, maybe a good idea for everybody just to stay away from these places rather than try to mess with things and forces we don't understand. I do understand, Bill, that we're out of time. And I okay. wanted to thank you so much, Bill Valakoop, a longtime friend of David Biedney, for telling us about some very, very incredible encounters, especially that one that you shared with David about that apparition. And I think when yeah. David and I talk further after this in the second part of the show, we're going to want to explore this further and maybe yeah. even get some reactions from our listeners. Maybe other people who live in Florida in a similar vein have reported similar experiences. Bill, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Gene. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Hey, Bill. Thanks, buddy. Hey, Dave, you take care and uh, just uh, look over your shoulder. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you later, Billy. Okay, buddy. Thanks a lot, right, man. Be Bye cool, on. buddy. Thanks, man. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. David, the more I know you, the more I wonder about you. And so we've had this experience <laughs> with your friend, Bill. Yeah, where you saw this apparition in Florida. And I'm wondering here if this is a place that attracts this kind of thing because it might be Indian burial grounds, whatever. I wonder if other people have had the same encounter. Maybe we should put out the call to our listeners that if they live in this area, can you define the location a little bit more clearly so maybe we could center on a particular geographical situation? Sure, absolutely. Um, well, we're talking about a large swath of southern Florida, but... Um Again, this happened at a condominium called Carriage Hills, which is on Sterling Road in Hollywood, Florida. If you locate where the uh, big Seminole Indian Casino is, which is on the intersection of Sterling Road and 441 State Road 84, basically we're talking about a mile and a half, two miles west of there. And um, that's where this particular incident happened. And again, I'll, I'll see if I can find the exact location in Google Earth and put that up on our on our uh, website so people can actually go and look at the exact courtyard I'm talking about. But um, it's Hollywood, Florida, where this happened on Sterling Road. And the thing is, Gene, that if you go west from there, you basically hit uh, all of the swamps that were developed into um, all of these condos and 
strip malls and, you know, kind of the American nightmare is what's gone on there. A lot of this land was not developed even, maybe even at that time, still not completely developed. I had, uh, when I moved back to Florida from Venezuela in 1979, I had gone to some concerts at a place called the Sportatorium, a big, huge concert venue that was west of there. And the Sportatorium was out in the middle of the swampland. I mean, there was like nothing around it. The Sportatorium is now gone, and all of that's condos. So all of this area has, has essentially been developed. You know, this is all land that uh, is essentially built on water. It's not, this is where you end up having a bunch of sinkholes happen. God forbid people who buy condos out in that area, you know, I mean, 15, 20 years down the road, who knows what's going to happen to that land. So it's that whole it's that whole general region to answer your question. Well, I worry about this swamp stuff now. Do you find situations in bad weather where <laughs> buildings start sinking? I mean, what are they doing there to protect people from situations yeah. like that? I think they've had real big problems there. This is where there's a, a good amount of flooding that happens in there. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine having large structures be very stable on that land. It, again, it's mostly swamps. Lots of alligators out there. You know, it, it's just funky land that really was never designed to be built on. I don't know. Maybe the – I can't claim to understand or know the whole history of how the Indians treated that region, but maybe one of the reasons it was a burial ground was that they didn't have have to do much to bury bodies. They basically let the bodies essentially sink into the ground. I, again, I'm not an expert on Indian burial rites, Gene, so I, I don't know why the Indians picked that location in that general area for it to be their burial grounds. That's a really good question, and I should probably do some research on that before I even try to talk about it. But, it might um, be nice also to have some of our listeners who reside in that area get in touch with us. Because well, that would be great. It yeah. would be just wonderful because we get a real good indication of what is really going on here. Absolutely. I mean, if anybody else has had experiences where they've witnessed some strange stuff in that area, we'd love to hear from you. So please do get in touch with us because I would love some, maybe not corroborating uh, evidence, but um, similar stories. I, I have to imagine that. You know, other weird stuff has gone on down in that region. We've no, long known that parts of Florida, it's been long known and accepted, Gene, that parts of Florida are indeed UFO hotspots. Jeff Ritzman has talked about the whole Gulf Breeze situation and, and all of the strange UFO stuff that's happened in that area. And we've actually talked offline about some seriously strange stuff in Gulf Breeze. But I think Florida has that reputation. If you pick up World Weekly News or any of those terrible, terrible periodicals, what you notice is that in the United States, when they report about weird stuff, right, you find that usually it's one-third of it happening in Florida, one-third in California, one-third in Texas, but Florida is always prominently featured in the weird stories. I, who knows why that is? Maybe that's just because uh, the National Enquirer and World Weekly News are centered or headquartered out of Florida. That, that might be part of it. But we'd love to hear from our listeners that have experienced anything strange down in that area. The address, the email address is news at theparacast.com, news at theparacast.com. There's also a link at our site, theparacast.com. So if you write to us about your experiences, and one important point here, we want you to give us a real name if you can. 
yeah. because we rather not have just anonymous messages. But we will keep your identity confidential. We're not going to sit here, take it out, take out the email and just read it on the air with a person's attribution. And we will not read it on the air, even without your name, unless you give us permission. Okay, right. we'll respect that. The key is to first get the information, and then once we have the information, then we can follow up as much as we can. I can't guarantee that David and I are going to come to your home to investigate it personally, but we do know a few people, and maybe we'll forward it to their attention. Mm-hmm. That'd be fun, though. Just take a road trip down to Florida and go looking for weird stuff. Well, unfortunately, living in Arizona, the road trip here is a little bit more, <laughs> uh, you know, a little bit more of a trip than than where it yeah. is for you. But I've driven that distance from New York to Florida, and it's a lovely oh, trip. Oh, it's about 23 hours if you drive it straight through, oh, at least God. down to Fort Lauderdale. Um, people have to realize when they get, like, let's say if you're driving from New York to Florida, once you get to the state of Florida up in Gainesville, you're still a good eight hours away from Miami and Fort Lauderdale. So it's a haul. It's a haul, man. Florida is a very long state. Very long state. So now yeah, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we won't do that. Well, it's yeah, a nice good possibility. To go down I can there. go with yeah, that. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I can see where that might happen. That might be an encouraging possibility that we'll send David down there. So David really, really wants to go to Florida and... You know, we're not making a pitch for plane tickets here. He'll drive the trip if we can yeah. have some justification. But seriously speaking, we're interested in seeing what might happen. We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on the line. William, can you give us an offer for our readers about getting the magazine? Yes, I sure can. Here's an offer for your listener. We have a special five-issue introductory offer for first-time subscribers, 1995 for your first five issues. Not available anywhere else, but on the Paracast. So, Bill, how do they place the order? People can place orders by going to www.ufomag.com. They can also place orders over the phone at 1-888-UFO-MAGA, or they can write to us at Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Bill, give us that contact information again. It is UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295, or they can go directly to www.ufomag.com, and they can also call 1-888-UFO-MAGA, and they can subscribe right over the phone with a credit card. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. 
but we are interested in telling you you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, and we're talking about what's happening, and maybe give you a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look at what goes on here. I know we get lots and lots of requests from different people about having certain guests on the show, and we do respond to those requests quite often and we make an effort to get a particular guest on the program but it doesn't always work out like we want like for example let me have david recap one particular instance and this goes back a few weeks ago in case you didn't hear sometime back in the 1990s i had some pleasant lunches with peter gerson we had pleasant interchanges we talked we exchanged email and Our associate producer, Tim Beckley, said, you know, you really ought to have Peter on because he was involved in getting information during the Freedom of Information Act about UFOs. And this guy has lots of great experiences to talk about. We should share his wisdom. So David contacts Peter Gersten. Yeah. Basically figuring, okay, this guy sounds kind of interesting. We'll have him on as a guest. We'll talk with him. We'll see what he has to say. We, I, well, I sent him some email, and then I think you had had contact with him, and basically what happened was he completely shot us down. And he shot us down because I, I guess what happened was he went over to our website, and he saw that one of um, one of our friends, someone we've had on the show more than once, is uh, Royce Myers the third from UFO Watchdog. A great website, a fellow that I respect quite a bit. I know we both respect and appreciate what he's done in the field, trying to sort the wheat from the chafe. You know, so let's uh, let's find out who is legitimate in this field and who isn't. And um, Royce has gone on record stating that you know certain people are charlatans, certain people do not have legitimacy or credibility, and other people do. And he expresses this obviously as his opinion. But as it turns out, most of the people who are in his infamous UFO Hall of Shame are indeed people who uh, have turned out to be less than scrupulous in their approach to uh, understanding and helping other people understand the UFO field. I didn't realize that Peter Gersten is prominently featured in the UFO Hall of Shame. Uh, in fact, in the photo that's uh, that's online of him, he's wearing a a purple uh, kind of a wizard's robe. I mean, he. I, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to make any judgments based on him wearing a specific piece of clothing. But there are some interesting revelations here about some of his background, and you know, it kind of paints a maybe not wonderfully glowing picture of the man, I suppose, is the way to put it. Well, the point is here, without going into detail, the response that we got from Mr. Gerson, of course, Mm. was the fact that we had somebody on the show who disagreed with him. And that raises a larger issue here, which is when we book shows, we book people to be on the show, are we politically correct enough to invite people who only agree with each other. I mean, there was somebody who wrote us a comment, and it was yeah. a private message, and I won't give the person's name because it was a private message. He said, I won't give out his name, that we only invite people on the show whose views are consistent with ours. Not that we've expressed all our views about subjects, but hmm. it's like a cheering society, and I don't think that's correct. I think we've had people from both sides of, of the political aisle, and I'll give you an example of that. Some people say, well, maybe we're a little bit too left-weaning, we're against the Iraqi war, 
And whether that's true or not, consider the fact that we had people who were in the military and seemed to support the war effort. Certainly, I would think Kevin Randall does, based on the statements he said that we're not delivering accurate information about the good things that are happening in Iraq. And then, of course, we had Dr. Jesse Marcel, Jr., who Who served in Iraq. That's right. And I get the impression he's a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy, somewhat conservative in his viewpoints based on the kind of comments he made here. But we didn't say... You can't be on the show because it's not politically correct to have people from different political persuasions here. That's obviously not true. It certainly is not true. And certainly we would not have had the person who was a supporter of that contact D beginning with the letter M, his surname. And I won't go into mentioning any further, except as an example that we had somebody on here who we did not agree with. And certainly. Absolutely. He, he was on twice for right. crying out loud. I mean, <laughs> and I think we know. regret that for other reasons. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a whole other story. Or, you know, we had uh, Sean David Morton on, who our buddy Royce Myers had to go to court with this guy, had to basically sue him. You know, ba- we've had people on. And Royce who, Myers didn't say, Gene and David, how could you do that? I'll never come on your show again. Yeah. No. Royce Myers yeah. is a friend of the show and our personal friend. So, you know, it, this idea that we only have people on we agree with. Well, I know when we had on your old friend, Alan Greenfield, Alan said some stuff that I strongly disagreed with, and I made those statements right on the show. Hey, we talked about the psychic photography stuff. I'm like, what the heck is that? Get real. At the same time, it's interesting to see that the response to Alan has been polarized in both camps. There are people who thought that he was not a great guest. They did not like where he was taking some of the discussion. But we've had other people think he was absolutely fascinating. Our, our buddy Jeff Ritzman thought he was one of the most compelling guests we've ever had on. And when Jeff expresses an opinion like that, that means a lot to me. simple fact of the matter is we, we will have on really anybody who's willing to come on the show, but we won't agree to not talk about certain topics. That's the thing. I, th- there's a particular person I've been wanting to have on the show, Gene, that we're not going to mention his name, but... There are a number of reasons I've wanted to have him on the show, but he's been a little uncooperative with me in our discussions offline about what topics we are allowed to bring up and what topics we're not allowed to bring up. I really don't want to feel that we're going to be dictated to by a guest, a potential guest, as far as, okay, these are the areas you're allowed to ask me about, but you can't ask me about all this other stuff. Look, we have no interest in bringing up the personal dirt on a person on the show we're much less interested in personalities here than we are with knowledge and information so to bring someone on the show to we're not going to bring someone on to attack them on a personal level will if anything question and debate the topic they're discussing but as far as you know the actual person themselves hey look you know they we can have people on who we feel are full of really interesting information who maybe aren't the most friendly characters in the world Who cares if they have something interesting to talk about? We'll have them on. And and the thing about opposing views is that I think that lends itself towards really good conversations. If you have people simply agreeing with each other, you know, maybe that doesn't make for the best radio. I mean, on our on our we're almost criticizing other shows, but I don't want to mention any specifically (laughs) except that we have to 
point out here that we're not going to be cheerleaders for a guest. If we like the guest, we'll express the fact that we like them. If we agree with what the guest has to say, we'll certainly express that agreement. If we disagree, we'll ask them a few probing questions to try to point ourselves in the direction of getting more meaningful answers. Sometimes people like to sidestep the really deep answers. And obviously, we can't agree with every person we've brought on about UFOs because there are widely varying opinions. Like, for example, Stanton Friedman believes straight in the ETH or extraterrestrial hypothesis. Mac mm-hmm. Tonys was talking about crypto terrestrials, which meant a civilization that coexists with us on Earth, possibly not in another dimension, but right here in our physical world. Now, obviously, we're talking about two very different viewpoints here, both, of course, accepting UFO reality. But if we put them in the same room, they aren't going to agree with one another. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. We should agree with this, though, here in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. And we're talking about a lot of issues that surround this show and how this show is put together and why we do the things that we do. And Peter Gersten is not the only person we've talked about having on the program. In fact, it was another person you were in touch with, David. He'd been on the show before. I thought he did a very good job. But the second attempt to get him on here didn't work out quite so well. Well, I guess we have to expect that, Gene. I mean, some people are going to come on do the show and feel that we didn't do right by them, I suppose. And there are other people who perhaps listen to our show and then, you know, first agree to come on, then they go and they listen to a few episodes and all of a sudden they vanish and we don't hear from them again. I think that's because they realize at that point that we're not going to give them a walk through the park. And I've read a couple of comments online with people who say that we claim to be skeptical, but then we're when we have a guest on, we don't take them uh, all the way out to task. We don't hang them out to dry. And um, I don't know, well, I can think of a couple of cases where maybe we were a little gentle with a couple of guests, where we didn't absolutely tear them to shreds. People need to realize that it's work getting different guests on the show every week. You have to walk a very fine line diplomatically in being able to talk about topics in a rational, reasonable way but also not scare everybody off. I mean, we have to strike a balance there. And, you know, we're just coming up on our first year, Gene, and we've done this without any real plan, per se. We don't. We didn't come into this with a specific idea of this is what the flavor of the show is going to be, this is what uh, the end result will be. We had some general guidelines, and I think we've stuck fairly well with those guidelines. And, you know, the whole sort of charter of the show was that we were going to try to perhaps change some of the level of discourse in this field, maybe bump the discussion up a couple of notches, and try to find some more legitimacy for these topics, because um, like you said, we, we, we've had people on representing various aspects, for example, of the UFO field, everything from uh, Stanton Friedman talking about a very specific set of theories he's come up with that he works very hard to defend and we respect Stanton for that 
We completely respect him for that. I'll remind our listeners that when we had him on the show last time, and I tried to bring up an issue of a potential interdimensional reality to these things, uh, Stan was fairly negative. He said, you know, why are you taking it in that direction? And uh, I pressed the point because I think it is a relevant question, and I think that we have to look at all potential answers to the sourcing of these things and that you know Stanton's been essentially putting the same material forward for a number of years now and uh, he might be exactly right who knows but the only way to really figure this stuff out is to try to approach the problem from from various points of view and uh, what I've said to people more than a few times in the last few months is that when we talk about UFOs and we talk about extraterrestrials we have to separate those two topics. Those are two different things. An unidentified flying object, for example, is just that. It's something that's in the air. It's not identified. That's what we know. Can we say this is not a black ops thing? Can we say this is from another planet? Can we say this is from our planet, from some concurrent civilization we don't know about? All of the above is possible. And so that's, I think, um, what, what I've come to do, Gene, is to sort of try to express this as we've got an enigma here where we have, imagine if you would, a ball where the center of the ball is signal or truth, and the rest of the outer shells of the ball are noise, essentially stuff to distract us. And as we try to get to the center of the ball, the core, the signal, we don't know what we're going to find there. We don't know because it's covered by noise. It's covered by stuff that's not valid. So as we strip away layers of noise, we begin to see traces of what the truth is, the signal, the core of the question. Uh, but we don't know what that core consists of until we get really close to it. I think this is really important, Gene, because as... I walk through this sandbox called the UFO field, certainly. What I'm really coming to understand is that you have people who have staked out positions, and essentially all they do is they defend those positions. They say, this is what the UFOs are, and then everything that comes in every piece of evidence, every testimonial, either conforms to that view or is discarded. And as much as I respect Stan Friedman, sometimes I feel he falls prey to that, where if you go in with something that doesn't fit his model of what he believes these things are, he essentially discounts it. And I don't know that I agree with Stanton on that point. In fact, I know I disagree with him. And my approach to this has been, let's assume we don't know what the answers are, because Gene, I've said it on the show before, and I'll say it again, anybody who claims to have all the answers about this enigma, certainly called UFOs, does not have all the answers. I would agree 100% because we've seen some people basically get caught in a rut, and I think that's part of the problem with UFOs. Let's take a look at the belief systems of the 1950s and the 1960s about all mm -hmm. this. Now, we've said many, many times on the show that we really do not understand more about UFOs in 2007 than we did 40, 50 years ago. Yep. And the argument that Stanton Friedman presents, and I respect what he does, I like him as a person, the argument he presents is not materially different than what Major Donald Kehoe said in 1952. Mm-hmm. Major Kehoe wrote these books, Flying Saucers from Outer Space, which, of course, <laughs> immediately oh, tells man. you what he felt, the Flying Saucer Conspiracy, which tells you what he felt about the fact that he felt the government had the answers 
and they were keeping that information a secret. And certainly all the conspiracy rumors we hear since then is that some kind of black ops part of the government, the, the octopus, whatever, they know all mm -hmm. about UFOs. They are in contact with the extraterrestrials or whatever they are, and they are either doling it out to us bit by bit, or they are giving us fake information, disinformation, and we have to separate the wheat from the chaff. Then we get into those, when we get into the disinformation, we get into all these crazy side issues like Project Serpo, which the long and short of it is, did we meet extraterrestrials years ago, send a scout team, have a foreign <laughs> exchange program, and certainly one that is not from someone who lives in Spain with someone who lives in the USA, but someone who lives in Zeta Reticuli or whatever, went to this other planet. And there's no evidence for any of this stuff, of course. No, no. Not a whit of evidence. We have people who are anonymous sources. We have, for example, claims that certain people may have perpetrated the hoax. And we go back to somebody who formerly worked in military intelligence for one reason or another. I don't know. I just think it's a red herring. And I think after having done a show on the subject, I can't see any new material information that will help us get any answers there. At the same time, there are so many varieties of UFOs that we see. And I caught a drift of a thread on this at AboveTopSecret.com. And ladies and gentlemen, we had Mark Allen, one of the three owners of AboveTopSecret.com on our show last week. And... I read it. There are hundreds of thousands of messages. There's no way to cover even a portion of it. Yeah. But I read a thread where they're talking about all the different shapes and sizes UFOs come in. And, okay, there's another issue. Are they all from a single source? And maybe one is using the SUV and the other is using the convertible or the extraterrestrial equivalent of the convertible. Are they coming from different sources? Are some secret weapons or some whatever? You are about to enter another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. 
You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietney. Whatever we're doing now is basically to give you a deep background of where we stand about all the things that we explore. Now, you never did mention fully this other recent correspondence you had with a former guest on the show. Yeah, maybe I should talk about that a little bit because it's a good example, Gene, of what happens in this field when you have evidence that doesn't withstand the test of analysis and you have vested interests. And this is something that I don't want to make sweeping statements here, Gene, because that's always dangerous. One of the things I'm coming to learn about this whole field, and, and I admit, before the last year, I can't say that I was any kind of an expert in any of this. I'm someone who's had some interesting, odd experiences in my life, a range of them, and we found out about one of those today, one more of those at least, um, that I lived through with a friend of mine. But the fact is that, well, here's what happened. We have a piece of footage that's surfaced on the Internet that is associated with a guest we've had on the show, David Sarita, who was a very good guest. He's the one that did the um, UFO video with Dan Aykroyd the last couple of years. And he came on the show last year and talked about his work with Aykroyd. And so David is working on a new video now. And you can search us on the web, go find it on his blog page. What ended up happening was I had seen a news report from Fox News where there was talk about the O'Hare incident. They had on a uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, talking about why he feels it wasn't a UFO, even though apparently he had not looked at any of the information about O'Hare, which I thought, thought was interesting. Representing the pro-UFO point of view was uh, David Sarita. And David, among other things, showed some footage shot by a fellow in, in Ohio of what were supposedly some strange, anomalous light things going on over Lake Erie. And um, David showed this footage and said, look, here are UFOs over Lake Erie. And, uh, you know, Nye said, oh, that looks kind of interesting, but I'm not sure about that. Sarita, who is, you know, an absolute hardcore believer, basically was like, look at this. This is UFOs. You can't deny this. So I saw this clip. I sent David emails saying, hey, you know what? Have you guys had that footage analyzed? Um, because I looked at this footage, and it reminded me of what airplanes look like when they're stacked up for landing, when they're in holding patterns. And I looked at this footage, and that's the first thing that I thought of. I wrote to David, and I said, hey, you know what? That's interesting footage. Have you had it analyzed? What's the story with it? And to make a very long story very short, we had a flurry of emails go back and forth over a couple of days where I, I said to David, you know what, Jeff Ritzman and I would love to look at this footage. We'd love to analyze it. And he said, no, no way. It's going to be in a film I'm doing that's coming out in the spring. And when the DVD comes out, then you'll have the actual footage along with everyone else, which I thought, well, okay, that's kind of silly because the minute the footage gets compressed and put on the DVD, it's now compressed into MPEG format. And that's not what you want to use for analysis. And so, and we should point out, David, that when you yeah. compress something for DVD, we're talking about over 90% of the data is thrown out. If you compare well, the original with the DVD, depending on, of course, on what well, the image was depends, originally. Right. It depends on a lot of factors. I won't say it's 90%, but certainly, Gene, if you're trying to do detailed image analysis of small objects in the background of footage, and, and we're talking about lights in the sky, as Jeff puts it, as Ritzman puts it, lights in the sky, which you always have to be concerned about, lights in the sky are always problematic. Um, they're not as definitive or revealing as structured metal objects because they're lights in the sky. So the last thing you want is any kind of compression at all. You always want to have the most 
raw, the most uncompressed, the most untouched footage you can get a hold of. That just has to do with data integrity. That's what you need. So I wrote to David saying, well, uh, David, when you put that footage on DVD, it's going to be useless for analysis. And he basically, at that point, started saying, well, look, you know, it's what it is. I don't have time to send it to anybody. I don't have time to have a third party analyze it. And it's going to be in the documentary, and that's that. Now, <laughs> from the point of view of about his objectivity, action, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, there is none at that point, Gene. There is none. So I went on Above Top Secret, and lo and behold, it turns out that the guy who shot this footage is on Above Top Secret. He's on there with a thread announcing in an excited way, look, Fox is going to run my footage, and I'm working on this thing with David Sarita, and look at this great footage. And he had posted it up on Above Top Secret, and a number of the participants on Above Top Secret looked at it, and said, gee, guy, this looks like airplanes. You had people who worked in aeronautics telling him this on the forums. You had people who uh, had seen this exact site above Lake Erie who said to me, oh, yeah, we see this all the time. What's the big deal? Now, this guy put himself forward as, uh, you know, someone who wanted to understand this. And here he had people saying to him, well, you know, you need to take a close look at this, dude, because this is not what you think it is, at least we don't think it is. And he was very defensive, and he basically said, hey, I don't care what all of you think, I think it's UFOs, and that's the only thing that matters. Now, uh, at that point, I chimed in to this forum, to this thread, and I said, hey, look, Jeff Ritzman and I would be happy to look at this footage and give you our opinion of it, but it's my gut impression that this is probably airplanes. And I, I have to qualify this. I had sent Jeff the link to this footage when I first saw it, and Jeff didn't think about it for more than 20 seconds. He looked at it, and he's like, oh, man, this looks like airplanes. I said, you think so? He's like, absolutely. And he started pointing out all the reasons why he felt that they were indeed airplanes. And as I looked at it, um, I, it kind of confirmed my first intuition. I ended up thinking Jeff is really onto something here. And a number of the participants on the threads that this was on on Above Top Secret seemed to agree with me. Well, Gene, as more people voiced that opinion, the guy who shot this footage got more and more defensive. And um, when I chimed in and I said, look, you know, we'll look at this, but, you know, have you done any work into figuring out where the airports are in the area? Have you considered that possibility? And then I wrote to him saying, and by the way, what happened with David Sarita, when I finally got down to it with Sarita, Sarita essentially told me that he felt that perhaps I was an NSA operative that was trying to debunk legitimate footage and uh, that oh, boy. I was, oh yeah, he, you know, he's like, you're with the NSA. He said to me, I've seen UFOs. You don't know about UFOs. I saw one, one when I was seven years old. What would you know? You think everything are airplanes because you've never seen a UFO. And at that point, I wrote back to him saying, David, obviously you've not listened to episode five of the Paracast. Right. And obviously you've never spoken to me about my multiple experiences. And now I'll really freak out our listeners and probably commit even more career suicide. Um, I wrote to him saying, David, you might have seen a disc when you were seven. I have been within 100 feet of one. So 
I think I know what one of these discs looks like. You just I raised think, something. I'm going to have to oh, ask you about this. No, you're not going to get to ask me about this yet. Okay. But yeah, I have seen a disc within a distance of 100 feet, Gene. So I said to David, I wrote to David saying, why do you have to bring up your one UFO encounter when you were seven every time you try to make a point? I don't bring up my UFO encounters and talking about my opinions about this stuff. And oh, by the way, if you think I'm an NSA operative, obviously you know nothing about me. <laughs> I mean, Gene, you know something about me. Do you have this vision of me working for the spooks, man? <laughs> I would say that they would be the first people that you would not be working for. You're Bingo. the anti-spook. Pretty much. If nothing else, our listeners realize that I'm slightly to the left of anarchists. <laughs> we want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the podcast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. Before we see anarchy from our sponsors, you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney, and we're talking about the crazy paranormal field, about the personal interactions, which I think really denigrate the acceptability of this field. And when people from the outside come and they look in, they see all the arguments and all the debates, especially the problem you have with David Sarita. And yeah. we were certainly going to treat him fairly if he sent us the footage we would have analyzed it carefully absolutely we would have given him an honest answer and the other question is here if questions are being raised serious questions why would he put himself on the line to present this as something real because in the end he's gonna look like a fool or maybe well, he won't i don't know well, see this is what you got to wonder about he uh, only basically said to me i'm not going to give out any footage for analysis i don't need to i've had it analyzed it's real go away now I've had a couple of conversations with David on the phone about the topics he's interested in. When I saw some of the footage that he had from the whole NASA infrared camera thing, and that's a whole other topic we don't need to go into now. I'm sure our listeners know about that. David has uh, put out a video about his feelings, his theories about some of this infrared footage. I think is, is on one level compelling, but on another level is a little less than honest. Most people don't seem to have a clue as to the amount of space junk orbiting this planet, you know, uh, that when you look at some of this stuff on NASA videos shot from things like the space station from the shuttles, this junk flies by the screen, this junk flies by the windows of the shuttles, and you, you see these objects and you think, oh my God, what are these doing in space? What the heck is that thing? Oh my God, look, it's alien technology. No, it's the remnants of God knows how many rocket shots, how many satellite shots, how many shuttle emissions. You know, when People need to understand this. When we shoot a rocket in space, some amount of that rocket, the stages of that rocket, fall back into the atmosphere and burn up. Whatever doesn't fall back and burn up, and whatever doesn't come back to Earth, where do you all think it goes? It essentially hangs in orbit around the planet. There are actually a couple of um, really good online resources where you can see these diagrams 
of the stuff orbiting the planet, and we're talking about everything from things about the size of a fist, chunks of metal, chunks of foam, pieces of the ceramic tiles from the shuttle missions. You've got stuff that's relatively small, but then some of these pieces get to be pretty big. And there's always concern about these things essentially presenting a problem for ships going up and coming down. And this is not, not a trivial issue. The point is that could that, be almost a whole new discussion, too. Well, and we should have that at some point. Absolutely. The thing is, the space garbage is up there, and if you capture it on film, at times it looks like what it's not. The point is that David in this video talks about these things, but then shows, for example, an object that is moving in space around the Earth. Look how it changes course. And I'm looking at this stuff, and it, it does this, you have this thing flying by the screen that does this weird course correction, almost like a sharp turn. And then I realize that the camera that's shooting all this has, in the same time that we see this course change, the whole camera point of view has shifted. And I thought to myself, well, that, that explains it. The camera moved its point of view, and everything in the frame moved accordingly. Now, if you don't take the camera motion into account, oh, yeah, it looks like an object changes direction in, in a severe way. Well, no, you have to look more carefully at it. And this is what I called David up. And I said, hey, David, I was looking at this footage, and I noticed this. And we got into this long discussion that one time, and it was an interesting discussion. You know, he admitted, oh, yeah, you know, I didn't catch that. That was a problem. But what you never get is the follow-up, Gene. You know, the guy puts out a tape, sells a bunch of them, and doesn't exactly offer the update when someone points out that maybe some of this research was a little problematic. And this is what happens in this field. You know, I don't see Ray Santilli offering people refunds. You see guys like Ray Santilli put out a video of alien autopsy stuff that's supposed to be authentic, and then we all discover that it's not. You don't exactly see Ray Santilli offering refunds. At that point, the damage is already done. And it's almost as if he doesn't care. And I'm not trying to say that I think David Sarita is not interested in the topic of understanding about UFOs. I think he actually does have a deep interest. But what are some of the methods being deployed towards that end? Do you and, think to be charitable he might be self-deluding himself? I think he's, you know what it is, Gene? I think he means well. But what happens in this field is that people... Like I said to you, they get an image of their mind of what the core, what the signal is, and everything has to conform to that theory, to that interpretation, and if it doesn't, they toss the stuff out. When you and I have spoken about this, when I've talked to Jeff at length about the topic of doing all this research, what I have stated over and over is that I want to understand, truly understand, what's really going on here if that's in, in any way possible. If the truth turns out to be something very different than what I suspected it would be, I'm willing to accept that truth if there is a good amount of evidence to support and corroborate that, that truth. Well, you, raise, you see, David, now you're raising a very important point. What is your vested interest in a particular answer? If you have written best-selling books saying categorically they're from Zeta Reticuli, mm -hmm. and then evidence comes your way showing no, they're interdimensional, no, it's crypto-terrestrial, no, they're secret weapons, whatever of the above, what do you do then? You've just put out this book. You've staked your right. reputation. Do you say, ladies and gentlemen, I was wrong. I made a mistake. It's not from Zeta Reticuli at all. It's from a different source. Right. Or do you simply ignore the evidence to the contrary? Now, well, I would hope, motive, of right? course, if it is to uh -huh. sell the book, you want to keep that book on the store shelves. You want to know that it's still at Amazon with a ranking of 
2017 or something, whatever your mm -hmm. Amazon ranking is, you want to keep the sales up. Are you going to be intellectually honest or are you going to look at it and say, well, you know what, I can come out with another book saying, <laughs> this is part two. I have come to my opinions in a different way. I'm now looking at the subject differently. Take the book as an indication of my point of view five years ago or whatever. Now in 2007, my point of view is different. Here's a brand new book I can sell to you. Sure. So if you want to sell books, that's a way you can still be intellectually honest. But if you basically have your opinions depend on what you can sell, then you're selling out in the worst way. And we Absolutely. do not we don't have an objection to earning a living, all right? But there's a point where if earning the living is going to cause you to sell your soul, there's a point of how far you're going to go. And that's where you might be running into situations here. So if David Sarita, for example, sees the suspicions but has already staked his reputation on having this DVD, he's made his financial deals, he's ready to produce this DVD with this footage, and now it comes to his attention, you know what? You wasted your time, you wasted your effort, you wasted your money, it's not real. Will he give it up there or will he persist in maintaining it's real and saying that to those who have contrary points of view, you don't know anything about UFOs. I saw a UFO when I was six or seven years old. What could you no. possibly know? You're really a government agent, okay. David. Well, in, in researching that DVD he's working on, a couple of things became really obvious to me. Uh, Ritzman goes to David Sarita's blog, sees the cover for the video. From here to Andromeda, uh, I guess David believes that we can travel to Andromeda instantaneously. I'm not going to touch that one with a 10-foot pole. But then on the cover of the DVD, we see, you know, can humanity survive? So now we're using fear to sell. We know how we're we all know how well fear sells. It sells real well. Um, so there's that appeal to fear on the cover, which is problematic. But then the thing that Jeff noticed that I thought was the most telling thing of all was that the co-producer of this video is the fellow who shot the Lake Erie footage. And this guy had been maybe a little less than forthcoming about that fact on the ATS threads. He, he, he had said that he was providing footage to David Sarita for, quote-unquote, his next film, but didn't identify himself as a co-producer on that film. Now, boy, talk about vested interest. And I brought that up in the thread. I said to this guy, hey, you didn't identify yourself as a co-producer. I've essentially just outed you. You're telling us all how great this footage is, but indeed we all have a variety of problems with this footage. You won't let us have the original footage uncompressed for analysis because what it ended up saying on the thread was, oh, I'm not going to send this guy Biedny my footage because, you know, he doesn't believe me, so he's going to try to discredit me. And the guy also then went on to say he had a lot of other footage of lights emerging from the lake and flying up into the sky and a number of us said to him, well, if you have something like that, post it, man, because we're not going to confuse that with airplanes and a holding pattern. You have lights coming in and out of the water. Now you've got something. You want to guess as to whether or not he's posted that footage? I am not holding my breath. <laughs> well, exactly. And so this is this is the problem, Gene. The problem is that, look, David Sarita, can, he can search for the answers, all power to him. I believe that, as I said, he I think since he sincerely would like to understand this, but you can't distort reality to fit your vision of what that reality is.
This is Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO, reporting for ConspiracyJournal.com. Fascinated by the strange and unknown, things that go bump in the night, UFOs, time travel, Area 51, the Philadelphia Experiment, shady government cover-ups? Don't be left out in the lunar cold. Sign up now for our weekly online newsletter and receive our snail mail catalogs. Go to ConspiracyJournal.com or email Tim Beckley at MrUFO at WebTV.net. It's all out of this world. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney, and we're talking about distorting one's personal reality in opposition to the truth. It's not honest, and the last thing it does is get you closer to any actual understanding. And this is where, Gene, I, I spend a lot of time now in my life thinking about these topics, like even the issue of whether or not it makes any sense to do this show or to engage in these debates. I mean, uh, we mentioned it last time on the show, or mentioned it again now, this has not been any tremendous economic boon to me. I know it hasn't been any tremendous economic boon to you either. So far, we've been doing this in a very sincere, very honest way, and, and we've been paying a pretty severe price for that. I'm not sure as to whether or not I... Uh, I'm real happy with how a lot of this has turned out. We've had great conversations. I've met some really fascinating people in doing this. I've made some lifelong new friends. And I've engaged in these topics in a way that I really haven't in my adult life. And I do find them very compelling. At the same time, is this what we should be doing with our lives? That's a good question. And I'm not so sure it is at this point. I, I think about the amount of grief I've put up with from not only people we've had as guests, but people who we haven't had as guests who have decided that perhaps we are gaining too much credibility and they're just going to come out and attack us. I don't particularly enjoy that. I don't think anybody does enjoy that. Or if they do enjoy being attacked like that, then they have some pretty severe emotional problems. Not like you've ever had on a guest on here who fits that description to a T. Of course, we don't um, claim that everybody is perfect emotionally. I don't think anybody is. But yes, no. you don't want to take that kind of abuse. And that's no. an important question. On the other hand, I think we have a lot of people who dig what we do. And every time I read our message forums, I see a few people complaining, moaning, and they're entitled to complain. They're entitled Absolutely. to moan. They're entitled to disagree with us. And I see a lot of people saying, you know what, they're trying to treat this thing honestly, fairly, let the chips fall where they may. And therefore, well, I guess, I suppose if he really wants to defend himself, we'd be happy to have David Sarita on to explain why he thinks this photograph is genuine. But as long as he thinks, David, that you are a military operative, part of the secret government, part of the silence group, a man in black, that's 
not going to happen. And certainly Peter Gersten, if he could ignore his problems with the UFOwatchdog.com, I think he's done a lot of interesting work there. Maybe there are a few areas where we can question him on. And certainly if he feels that what he has to say in his approach is accurate and honest, why can't he get up there to defend himself? And that's a very important sure. point of view. A lot of the guests we've had on the show, we don't agree with them 100%. They don't agree with us. But they're honest enough to come on the show. They are treated fairly. We give them a chance to say what they have to say. We say what we have to say. And we hope you listeners will come out with more knowledge of what's going on here. And again, we're not going to cheerlead these guests. We're not going to say, wow, gosh, golly, gee whiz, because we're not that kind of people. And I think that we don't need to be cheerleaders. We need to find out what's going on because we have almost everybody out there has a UFO experience, a ghost mm -hmm. experience, some kind of paranormal experience in your past. And a lot of those experiences are far more fascinating than maybe some people let on. You know, they'll talk about a UFO encounter, but they won't talk about the poltergeist in their house the night before. So you see what I mean? A lot of things are going on here, but if people are afraid to talk about it because others want to have them fit in a particular niche, well, it's not going to happen. Yeah. People have to feel they could talk about these things openly, honestly, and then we can maybe find out what's happening. Otherwise, it's just going to stay the way it is. The UFO field has gone nowhere in over 50 years. Nowhere. No place. What do we know today that we don't know that we can use to get to the answers? Well, pretty much nothing. Um, well, we, we know some things. And it depends on who you believe. But you could say that for all of the paranormal world, Gene, we don't really, at this point, have any kind of a firm grasp on any of these phenomena. On Above Top Secret recently, on one of the threads there, I made the statement that we need to realize that we don't understand every aspect of human reality or of any reality. We don't, we at this point in our science, we have huge gaps. And we like to believe that we understand and know everything worth understanding and knowing. And the only real significant <laughs> scientific progress this civilization, our entire species has had, has really occurred in spurts in the last maybe two, three thousand years that we know of. I mean, a hundred years ago, uh, we were just beginning to get into the air. Now, a hundred years later, children today have no knowledge of our having been to the moon. So already within one generation, the wonder about this stuff has been trivialized. And that, I think that's very sad. But the fact of the matter is that at this stage of the game, there are huge gaps to our knowledge of how our reality works, how the universe works, what the universe is made of. We certainly have no clue as to the purpose of this universe. We don't have a clue at all. And this is where, to me, it's sad that science and religion find themselves at exactly diametrically opposed positions. One will have nothing to do with the other. And I suspect, in talking about this with my closest friends and confidants, and I've had very deep discussions about this with my wonderful significant other, Susan, we feel that there is some good possibility there that what we're going to find out is that the actual real knowledge, the wisdom of what this is really about, is somewhere in between what we call religion and science, maybe some synergy of the two things and even beyond them to really understand what's going on here. Because I don't think we have a good grasp. Certainly, um, if you look at things like what 
Bill and I saw down there in southern Florida, I can't tell you what we saw. I don't think anybody can tell me or any of us what we saw there. I, I really don't think so. We don't have the instrumentation for this kind of stuff. We don't we don't really understand the physical nature of our reality to the extent where we can say, oh, you know, this thing phased in and out of some uh, hyper-dimensional context. You know, at this point, a lot of that uh, top, a lot of that content is the subject of science fiction. Though in, in theoretical physics, we have some real discussions about string theory and the multiverse. These things have not trickled down into the day-to-day -day life because of the fact that we haven't figured out a way to monetize them. We haven't figured out a way to productize these things. We simply don't know enough about the dimensional reality we live in to, you know, earn a living from it or make money from it. It's like when things cross that threshold where they can be productized, where, you know, industry can come in and make use of it. Well, then all of a sudden people take it seriously. So as far as, you know, the thing that's been around the longest or it's made the most money being the most credible or legitimate thing, well, that's a sad byproduct of a capitalist society that believes that. You mean um, McDonald's is not the best restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> what, you mean they serve food there? <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to this week's episode of The Paracast. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.